Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, everybody. Scott Bischoff coming to you for Detroit Lions podcast. We're going to talk today about this thing called the draft. Happened, uh, it feels like, seven to ten months ago. Um, We're going to recap the draft. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, Coming to you right after the break. Lions fans. It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. The Detroit Lions went about their business on draft night in a very unconventional manner, and there's been much made about all of the arguing about the positional value and the, all that stuff. And I almost think that uh, I'm very happy. I'm very, very happy that I was not uh, anywhere that any of you fine people could see me react to specifically pick 18. Um, but we need to understand some things. First is even for people who... who I'm not even talking about myself because, you know, but uh, people who follow the draft and pay attention to the draft and get involved in the, into all this stuff, we don't know nearly as much as the Lions do or any other team does about these players. And we don't understand exactly what it is that the Lions are trying to do. So there's a lot of guessing that happens. And, you know, while, whilst, you know, you can feel comfortable about your ability to evaluate players and all these other things. Um, trying to get into the business of knocking a team for what they've done based on a math equation or, you know, stuff like that to me is just like it's a little much at times. I understand. I understand the argument about why you shouldn't be taking running backs and inside linebackers uh, in round one because it's almost impossible for them to to do two things, which is one, to live up to the draft position in which you took them, and two, get a second contract with your team. But um, given the relative strengths and weaknesses of this particular draft, I'm not sure that it mattered all that much. And in the end, did the Lions get good football players? And the answer is yes, really good football players. They just didn't, especially on day one, they didn't take players at positions in which people could feel excited over that. Um, and what I mean by that is if the Lions had gone out and got an edge an edge rusher, 
if they would have taken a, Ty, a Tyree Wilson at six and not made the trade to cut to go back to twelve, and then taken Deontay Banks at eighteen, everybody would have said they got two premium position players. Uh, let's give them an A. Okay, but there's a lot more context involved in that kind of stuff, and you know, so if we're just looking at positions when we're when we're we're thinking whether they did well, I think that's a that's a very flawed way to look at it. While understanding that there is some relative truth to, there are positions that you have to figure out, and if you don't figure out some of those positions, a lot of the other decisions you make might be null and void already. Um, I would tell you that the quarterback position is the most important uh, thing that the Lions will have to resolve, and until they get it resolved, um, and that maybe that means that that it's an extension for golf. Um, don't know, but you know, without a, without a resolution to that position, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today are are not all that meaningful. Um, I know that sounds a, a, a bit disappointing, but there is some truth to that, that, you know, if you can't get over the, over the top because of your quarterback or you can, uh, then the things that you do, the choices you make either matter significantly for winning big games or they don't at all. So um, having said that, I just wanted to express that by uh, in no uncertain terms do I think that I have any insight that's that even reaches into, uh, you know, what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are trying to do. And that I have I have uh, I had a better plan and I would have made all these you know different picks and done different things. Um, all that stuff is mostly nonsense, like almost 100% nonsense. What I think that that what I tried to offer is the ability just to look at players and see their strengths and their weaknesses and how they may fit here, but that doesn't mean that I'm putting together a team and it doesn't mean that I'm uh, you know paying, you know, putting food on my family's table or getting fired because of the decisions I'm making. I have the privilege of not making these decisions and it makes it easy to then pick it apart, right? Or or so I'm just, you know, I mean, I just think that's the reality and the, just being truthful about what it is that that we are trying to do. And I'm, and I'm not, you know, it's never been, hey, look at me kind of stuff, because all that stuff is is nonsense. So let's just get into um, what happens on, on night one. So you see, um, it all starts with uh, Devin Witherspoon getting taken fifth overall uh, by Seattle, which sends the Lions into a free fall, not in a bad way, or even, I'm sure they anticipated this, but there's nobody on their board that they value taking at pick six. So they move down to 12. Um, they move to 12. Uh, who came up? I don't even remember. I should, I should know this. Somebody, Arizona came up for Paris Johnson Jr. And boy, I, I hope that's the way it went because that'd be kind of embarrassing, but we're going to move along. So the Lions go back to 12, and um, yes, because Arizona had picked 12 from the trade they made with Houston. So um, Arizona jumps comes up to pick six for Paris Johnson Jr. The Lions go back to 12, where, you know, by all accounts, it sounds like they do covet Jameer Gibbs, and they feel they're pretty comfortable he'd be there. Um, now, having said that, this is what that means. It means that you have opportunity, multiple opportunities at this point have – You've had multiple looks at Jalen Carter. Um, you know, and what I mean by this is you could have taken Jalen Carter at six 
That's one. You trade past pick 10 knowing that Jalen Carter will not be there. That's two moves about Jalen Carter, which tells you the Lions did not want Jalen Carter. And he likely was not uh, likely was not on their board. Okay, so uh, it's obvious they were out on him. So, you know, you know, we look at the trade, you go from six, uh, you get 12 and 34 and some change. There's some other, some other stuff that went on in that trade. But for what we're, we're talking about, it's 12 and 34. Um, the interesting component of this, let's talk about this just real quick, is when you look at um, how much we in the we had been sort of fretting about needing a three technique, I think we may have been wrong there. Um, when I look at Aline McNeil's usage, uh, where the Lions have lined him up, more more often than not, he has played at the three technique uh, defense defensive tackle position. More than more than I mean, it, it's it's more than I thought. Significantly more to the point where it's almost like why have we been talking so much about them needing a three technique when McNeil plays at a high level there already? So uh, I think there there was a little bit of you know this is some of the media and you know. Um, you get caught up in, oh, this is what they need. Well, they kind of already have that. So I don't think it was hard for them to be out on Jalen Carter knowing that Aleem McNeil is there and, and is a guy for them there, and they like him there. So um, it just, it just ch- it changes the tone of the whole Jalen Carter conversation. And because you don't have to have that position filled, it's easier to just walk away from him. And that's kind of what they did. So, so I just, you know, the, the need for a three tech in the end was more important for those of us uh, yapping in the, in, on the media side about this stuff than it was for them likely inside their own room. Um, <laughs> that's a thing. And it's always going to be a thing. Uh, I, I think it's obvious that they value Devin Witherspoon. Uh, when he went at five, the Lions just jumped back to, to where they went to. Um, it, this leaves me wondering at this point, because of the three tech stuff, um, what is the status of Levi Onzerike? And if he returns, you know that is a potential big deal. If he gets, if and I know it's going to be a long, he's a long shot with the back and all that stuff, and he hasn't played for a while. But if he returns and plays for you at a mo- at a modest level, that is a huge thing because he is he was a very disruptive interior penetrator. Um, he would be a very different kind of three technique than Aline McNeil, more light, quick, fast, that kind of stuff. But, you know, you would need, you'd need something like that. So, you know, it's something to consider that because of McNeil's usage at, as, at the three and potentially Onzerike possibly returning and looking good, um, they just were never in the market for a three. So, you know, it's just a, it's a thought process that makes me intrigued as to is, you know, what's really going on positionally there. And then and then we're not going to get to this part of the wrap up yet. But in round three, they traded up. They gave up a bunch and uh, they traded up for uh, Broderick Martin from Western Kentucky, which just I mean, to me, that reaffirms and sort of bolt it bolsters the idea that McNeil McNeil is your three tech and you have. Broderick Martin, Isaiah Bugs, and others that are going to play more bigger, bigger bodied uh, one technique nose tackle stuff, and it's McNeil that they're they're three techies, and they're and they weren't really looking for an upgrade there. So, um, just just some thoughts on 
how the team developmental stuff works on the D line and and where it was. So, um, so let's get to Gibbs. I know this person been a lot. Uh, Gibbs as a player, he is a he plays a very slashing style. Um, I have comped him for a while, going back to the Georgia Tech year two years ago, to um, Chiefs running back Jamal Charles uh, is the way he looks when he runs. The way he can kind of slash in and in and out, and he's and it's full speed cuts, no slowing, uh, as explosive as you can be in space. The ability to run away from people, all those things. To me, I, it just reminds me of watching Jamal Charles. I could be alone there, but that's what it reminds me of. So you know, I see all that stuff, and I see the lateral quickness and the receiving ability, and and you know, the truth. Watching him. Watching him catch the ball and watching him run into space, it, it is, I mean, this is going to sound silly, but it, it's like wondrous to behold that. Like, there, his skill set is just, it's amazing the things that he does and the things he does well. And then, I, then you know, naturally, what's his fit in the Lions offense? And if we look at, you know, you, you, sign, you, you pay David Montgomery a bunch of money and he's your, you know, north-south uh, run, run behind what's set up for you player and then off of that is this dude who, whether you run it into space or, or you know, jet sweeps and that kind of stuff, or you, or you manufacture touches for him in short areas for them to, for, to allow him to just run wild with the ball in his hands, it's, the offense is, su- is going to be super explosive, super explosive. And, and it almost feels like, that's what they have wanted to do for the past few years. So I look at his fit with Montgomery and I think, you know, the combination is almost perfect. The problem is it's a very expensive way to do it. Um, You can, you can do the Philly way and pay four guys like $3 million total. Right. A Swift being one of them, or you could do this. You could sign Montgomery to a, a big money contract and draft Gibbs and have to pay him his slot value. But in the end, you know, what the Lions are going to roll into 2023 with it out of their out of their running back room is significantly upgraded. And I mean significantly from what it was last year. Um, let's see. So when I see Gibbs, I, I can see uh, Gibbs can run the ball, too. It's not just he's, he's only a receiving back. Um, he has skill. He has skills to run the ball. Uh, in a conventional sense, he can run outside zone. He can run inside zone. He can run between the tackles. He can do all those things. Everybody wants to call him small, but he's 199 pounds. Christian McCaffrey was 202 coming into the NFL. You know, I, I think that there's there's just there's a lot of things that Gibbs is going to be capable of doing. Um, Gibbs is as fast as Javid Best was. Now everybody sit down and think about that because Javid Best was was an electric player and people loved the idea of what he would be. Uh, Gibbs just catches the ball more naturally and is more electric in space than Gibbs was, who was more straight line fast than, than uh, Best was, because Best was more straight line fast, even though he was, a, he was a rocket ship. So, you know, you've got all, those, all this stuff with Gibbs. Um, you've got, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many things that you can do with Gibbs. You can line him out wide and let him run routes. Um, there's just a million ways. And I think the, the Gibbs pick is going to be one of those things where people are going to complain about it until they see it on the field. And then they're going to settle in and be totally cool with it. Period. 
That's that is what I fully expect to happen. We're going to hear about it until they first see him play. He's going to make a couple big runs, and they're going to be like, "This is awesome." We're going to feel that. We're going to see it, right? So, um, so the, the Gibbs. There's a natural comparison between Gibbs and DeAndre Swift, uh, simply because they drafted one to replace the other. So, let's talk about Gibbs and how he fits in terms of of. Um, what Swift was really doing for the Lions, and that was essentially giving them explosive plays as a runner and as pass catcher. And the reality, and simply put, the Lions offense was explosive and electric last year when it got splash plays from DeAndre Swift. It just was. Uh, I have numbers that back this up, and I think this is something, I'm sure somebody's talked about this, but if we can get this out there, I think people are going to understand a little bit that uh, this is why. So, um, last year, week one against Philadelphia, DeAndre Swift carries the ball 15 times for 144 yards and scores a touchdown. He has three catches for 31 yards receiving. In that game, he has a 50-yard run and a 25-yard catch, okay? The Lions put up 35 points in a loss in that game, largely because of what Swift was doing for their offense. Week two against Washington, he only carried the ball five times for 56 yards. Okay, he did catch five passes for or for uh, thirty-one yards. He had a he had a rushing or a receiving touchdown in this game. Um, in this game, he also had a fifty-yard run and a twenty-two-yard catch that that ended up as a score. So through two weeks, DeAndre Swift ha- Swift has four touches. Okay, for one hundred and forty-seven yards and two touchdowns. Those touches included two fifty-yard runs a 25-yard catch, and a 22-yard catch. That's explosive as it gets. I mean, it just is. And then you hit a wall, and injuries start to pile up, and it's just not, you know, it's it's just not the same. Um, I want to say Swift had maybe an eight-carry game, a couple games with seven carries, three or four games with six carries. And then after that, the most carries he had in the game was like, was five. So he just, he wasn't really all that involved outside of those big uh, first couple of weeks. Um, he was involved heavily in uh, the Jacksonville game and the Chicago game. So now when we look at those games, um, Jacksonville week 13, he had 14 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. He had six catches for, for 49 yards, no touchdowns, right? He had a 24-yard catch in this game. The Lions put up 40 points in a win against that team, against Jacksonville. Week 17 against Chicago, he had 11 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. He had four catches for 39 yards and a touchdown. Uh, He had a 21-yard catch. Lions put up 41 points in a win. So, you know, this this is the correlation between explosive big plays and what it does for the Lions' offense. And in the end, you know, uh, Swift had 48 catches on 70 targets last year. He ended with 389 yards and three touchdowns. He had 99 carries for 542 yards and five touchdowns as a runner. Um, so, you know, when you add 542 and 389, you're not quite to 1,000 yards, uh, total yards. Um, I, would ex- I would say it's fairly simple to expect more, more. Like it, you should expect a bunch more on uh, on both ends there. Like I would think that 
I would think that the Lions would be super disappointed if Gibbs only had 48 catches as a, as a rookie. And I think they would be very disappointed if he only had 99 carries as a rookie. And I think that's the that's the the gold in this one is that for all the good that Swift did, which was to power the Lions to throwing up uh, you know, huge in numbers of points in the games in which he he provided big plays for them. Um, I think you should expect Gibbs to do that at a much higher le- level, a better level. He's a more explosive player. Um, the only downside I see with Gibbs is, um, and, it, and it's the risk component, is you moved on from DeAndre Swift because he was banged up pretty regular, and he couldn't, he just couldn't play through through being banged up, and he wasn't the same guy injured as he as he was healthy. It was very easy to see, and you replaced him with the twelfth pick in the draft. And what if Gibbs becomes a touch injury prone or misses time, and then you get the you just picked you use pick twelve for to draft the same guy that you had that you then shipped off to Philadelphia for nothing. And what was the point of doing all of that? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I could see that being an argument that, that, that gets made if, if Gibbs is, uh, does suffer some injuries and doesn't, you know, live up to the dynamicism that we're hoping for. But, you know, from a football play standpoint and from a ma- from how he matches, you know, up with the team and the scheme and all these things, uh, Thinking about Ben Johnson and him getting Gibbs into some exotic stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, whether we like running back, uh, whether we like running back or not in round one, this this is a nice fit. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about it because my brain is <laughs> not functioning. But, um, you know, part of it is, uh, and this is a separate discussion, but, would you have preferred they just stuck, uh, stayed at pick six and taken Bijan? And, you know, Bijan over Gibbs. And just is that, and, and I think that's a fair discussion that we should have. We could have. Uh, each player has their strengths. Each player has things that they don't do as well as they, the things they do well. But uh, clearly for the Lions, they valued Gibbs's ability in space much more than than what uh, Bijan could give them in space, whether they're right or wrong. Um, I think that they have, they feel like they have their, their kind of workhorse between the tackles guy and David Montgomery. So this allows them to, to move to a more dynamic, uh, you know, playmaking player. Um, part of the discussion too, and, and it, this is also, this colors it too, is you, you did pick up 34 in the deal. So it's, so the decision is, are you on Team Bijan or are you on Team Gibbs and Sam Laporta? So do you want Gibbs and Laporta or Bijan? Because that kind of feels like that's where it, the whole thing ended up. And to me, uh, as much as I loved Gibbs and I think Gibbs is, is a as good as it gets, I like the two players better than the one. Um, and, and I'll just, uh, you know, just admitting it that, you know, you can you can like the players that they've selected and dislike where they selected them. Um, to me, the Gibbs thing is not necessarily 
Uh, I could see Gibbs getting a second contract easier than a traditional runner simply because he's not going to get crushed via his workload because his workload's going to come in space, uh, you know, catching balls and that kind of stuff. So I think there's there's a little more there for him than than uh, you know. He's a guy that you're not going to sign. You, you, you might offer him his, his fifth-year option, but then you have to move past him. I'm not sure if it's that cut and dry. So that's uh, that's where we are with Gibbs. Um, again, really good player, fits the Lions to a T, and I think he's going to take their offense. And when their offense was explosive and doing great things last year, keep it there. So next is a player that I struggle with. This is uh, This is not a pick that I liked. It's a pick I still don't like. Um, now I'm going to go back to what I said earlier in, in the video, and it's just not relevant whether I like it or not, uh, because we've talked about trusting Brad Holmes, and if if we we have to, I mean, if we said it, we have to then back up our words with our actions. So I'm not going to crush this pick. Um, first, it doesn't matter what I think. I don't have all the information like they do. I didn't meet with Jack Campbell like they did. I don't know what he's like off the field. I don't know what kind of a, a leader he is. Um, you know, by all accounts, he's everything they could possibly want in a football player, right? So, you know, you've got all that going for you. So those of us who don't like the pick or didn't like the, the value of the pick or the player or whatever it was need to back off on what we think because what we think is is flawed stuff because we don't have all the information and pretending that we do is nonsense. So um, this is where we trust Holmes and, and Dan Campbell to get it right. So, you know, by all accounts, he is everything they want a football player to be. Um, I don't know that he's going to get a second contract. I, you know, it's tough. You can see guys like Patrick queen. Um, you know, there's a bunch of the most recent first round linebackers who are not getting second contracts simply because it's it costs too much money for what they're for the kind of play they'd be giving to their teams. And that's kind of where I think you'd be looking at in, in four years is, you know, what has he done? Where is he as a player? And is he worth, you know, is he worth picking up the option um, when, when we could find cheaper production, similar production elsewhere? Um, again, the positional value conversation is out the window. Uh, and again, it doesn't matter what we think. They, you know, they did what they did. Um, if in totality, I thought what they did was fantastic. Um, if you look at, at the draft as a whole, um, so Campbell, Campbell's a big run stuffing kind of like run defender, first linebacker, uh, very reliable as a run defender to be in the right gap, and then also big enough and heavy enough to stay square through contact to find, to, to get off of blocks and find the ball, right? So um, his height and his size and his mass and then his athleticism and all these things allow him to be very effective defending the run. Um, he'll, he'll likely play, because he's a first-round pick and first-round capital, he's going to get every opportunity to develop as a player. So there's a couple moving things happening here. Um, the Lions signed Alex Anzalone to a multi-year, like $18 million contract. 
Um, I think they're they're with him for two years. But it makes me wonder, is Campbell going to play Mike, uh, linebacker for the Lions? That's where Anzalone played last year. And is Anzalone going to move to the Will position where he still is calling out the defense while Campbell learns? Um, if that's the case, you've just you've, you've put a bunch of size on the field and uh, you have likely improved your run defense a bunch, right? And that's one of the issues from last year is the run defense was very lacking at times. So, so when you see uh, a player like Campbell, who, like I said, he's, he's a big run stuffing linebacker, reliable to handle you know, his responsibilities in the right gap, um, size helps. Um, so his ability to play two downs allows him time to fill out and to develop as a player who will get better as a pass defender in coverage. Right. Uh, and he's capable of that. So you, I mean, it's not, it's not like something where it's like, well, he's never covered anybody before. So good luck. No, he's, I mean, he has done it and he's been relatively effectively doing it. It's just, can that stuff, does it translate to the NFL level? Uh, you can see him doing things um, in pass defense, getting out to the flats, um, you know, like if you want to get as, as simple as like, uh, you know, uh, you know, just like a zone coverage type stuff where, where his responsibility is to just to get to the flat kind of thing. It's like cover two type stuff. Um, you can see him do those things. You can see him run with players up the seam. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's athletic enough and big enough to give him time to develop as a three down impactful linebacker, whether he gets there is another story. Um, but the skills are there, right? So uh, I understand. And, you know, I can, <laughs> it's, we can, we can dislike the position uh, and understand that this is probably a player who fits them to a T and they love that component of things and recognize that he's got a little bit to learn. And if he does fill out into what they think he could fill out to, yeah, you're looking at great things. Um, will he ever do that? I don't know, but that's, you know, there's a little bit of risk with this one that maybe he, he ends up as a, you know, not so much a, a player you can rely upon in coverage, but a good downhill run defender, um, Saying that you drafted a good downhill run defender with pick 18 is a bummer. <laughs> it just is. So that's kind of, that's kind of it. Like um, that's the the stuff with, uh, with round one. Now I'm going to include, I'm going to include Laporta, Sam Laporta in this mix just because they did use first round assets to acquire him. So um, we talked earlier, you know, do you want, do you want Gibbs and Laporta or just, or just Bijan? To me, you'd want the two. Uh, it's definitely a discussion you can have. Um, I probably would be 50-50 on that. Like I, uh, but I thought Bijan was awesome. So, so you know, that's something you could definitely talk about. With, with Laporta and his specific fit in Detroit, uh, I, I think you're looking at a, a guy whose ability after the catch um, is unlike anything we've had in a while here. Um, TJ Hawkinson was very easy to tackle. It always seemed like he was getting tackled too easy. And, um, Laporta is not that, um, he's a much more, he's a much better, uh, yards after catch weapon than Hawkinson ever was. 
Uh, I think they're similar blockers. They're kind of like, you know, they want to try hard. They want to do that job. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, Both are underpowered in some ways where it's going to be really hard to line them up in line and just ask them to go to work. So I don't think that's what I would be asking them to do. Um, But with Laporta, you're looking at, to me, I've kind of viewed him as a player who would help the offense stay on the field by uh, getting first downs for them. Uh, he's a chain mover type as a really solid route runner um, in the short to intermediate parts of the field and, you know, in the seam kind of thing. And then when the, then when the ball is in his hands, he becomes something else and he is very difficult to get to the ground. He breaks a lot of tackles. He has great balance and plus athleticism and all those things. And, uh, you know, I mentioned him in the top 30 video as a player who really stood out, who I who I thought was right in this range, could be a really sneaky good player. Uh, I like Laporta a lot. I could see him. I could see him not having a huge rookie season because it's so hard for them to do that, but being a weapon that Jared Goff relies on. Um, and we know that game, right? Goff needs to trust. Uh, he, he absolutely needs to trust. So that's kind of where that is. This is uh, this is day one. Uh, we're going to do day two right now. Um, that one will be a little bit shorter, but we're going to break down the players they got. So um, make sure you check out that this is episode one. Check out episode two. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Woo! Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes! You've had enough of that shit.